I'm Sarah Heiner, President of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert sourced, expert vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Mark Goulston, a psychiatrist, FBI and police hostage negotiation trainer, and author of numerous books, including Just Listen, Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the Irrational and Impossible People in Your Life, and Get Out of Your Own Way, Overcoming Self-Defeating Behavior. He's also Bottom Line's go-to guy regarding difficult relationships of all kinds. And Mark is the host of the new podcast, My Wake Up Call. You can learn all about Dr. Goulston and his work at markgoulston.com. And when you go there, you can view his free webinar on how to overcome your internal roadblocks to success and happiness. So welcome, Mark. I'm so glad to see you. That was crisp and articulate. I'm so glad to be here as well. It's almost like I'm a professional. It's almost like we're here. <laughs> it's amazing. And in fact, you are here. Normally, I'm doing it through the virtual realities of life, but I love doing this, looking at you in the eyes. Well, same here. So you, uh, I, I, we better make good eye contact. I'm a little nervous there because I don't want to think that like you're negotiating me. You know, no, no. FBI ma manipulation or anything. We'll see. Okay. All right. So here's what we're going to do, actually. Let's talk about you. You were telling me about your new podcast and wake-up calls and how everyone had their wake-up call in life. So we're going to do a podcast about wake-up calls, and we're going to dissect your wake-up call. We're going to dissect my wake-up call and see how those changed our lives. Good? Absolutely. Well, actually, most of us have had many wake-up calls, and we listen to a few of them, and some of them can just change your life forever. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about them, right? That's right. And I know mine did. All right, so why don't you talk about wake-up calls? What, what does it really mean? So you gave me a big, rich explanation of the power of the wake-up call, the kind of the formats and why it is that you even created this podcast. Well, the reason I did it is uh, actually I had a former podcast called Prison Letters, which is still available wherever you get your podcasts, but I transitioned. And in those letters uh, that were written to me from inmates in prisons and jails who had read my first book, Get Out of Your Own Way, they were actually reaching out because they had had a wake-up call, but they wanted to stay woken up. And so they were referring to chapters and Get Out of Your Own Way, and so they were reaching out for help which was their wake-up call. And then I realized everybody has wake-up calls. And, and the key is to wake up when it happens and not fall back asleep. And, and actually, I will tell you, if you listen to other people or have conversations through that filter, if you're running out of small talk and you're at a club, I don't know how you work it into the conversation, but when people get to talk about their wake-up call, they love sharing it because people love sharing a crisis that they came back from, something they learned from, how they turned their life around. And what's really great about wake-up calls, in fact, you should do a brown bag meeting here at Bottom Line because when people share their wake-up calls, what happens is everybody else lowers their guard because the person is not selling you on anything. In fact, what I'm reminded of is after 9-11, I was called in to deal with people's reaction to it. And so one of the things I did at certain companies is I said, what is a dark time in your life that you never thought you'd get past, but you did? And what it taught you was how strong and resilient you are. Because I wanted to frame, and this is the month after 9-11, and what happened is people shared stories 
that they never heard about each other, and it totally changed the room. I, I can remember, I'll just share one of them. I remember a demure female attorney that you could think of as being a lightweight because she was just so well-mannered and respectful. And she said this, totally unimpressed with herself. She said, she wake up call, wake up call. Uh, oh yeah, the, the day that I graduated from law school and I was going to be able to pay back the couple hundred thousand dollars in loans I had, on that day I was given sole custody of my three younger siblings. Wow. That's exact. So what happened is the whole room went, she is no lightweight. <laughs> so that's the power of wake-up calls. They are. But you said an interesting thing about the prisoners, that getting them to be able to stick with the change, right? And that we actually, I was doing a, a podcast with John Taffer of Bar Rescue the other day, and he's all about people being in action and people not using excuses. And he, I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but he will break people down and make them realize the excuses that are holding them back in life. And we're talking about the challenge of sticking with those changes. You have your aha moment, you realize you've been making excuses, you realize your wake-up call, but then how does it stick? Or if it's a real wake-up call, does it automatically change? Well, the wake-up call automatically wakes you up. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a wake-up call. But there are certain things you can do to help it stick. I remember I did a webinar called Follow-Through Means Never Having to Say You're Sorry. And one of the ways uh, that I discussed that I used to uh, stick to a wake-up call is if you're fortunate enough to have mentors, and I've been blessed and they've all passed away, but they were amazing people, is I was certain to never tell them I was going to do anything unless I was 150% sure that I was going to do it because their esteem for me was so important and they'd be the last person I would ever want to disappoint. And so I wouldn't tell them anything unless I was certain I was going to do it. And then what I would start to do, and you can do this with anyone whose esteem is important to you that you don't want to disappoint. You could reach out to someone and say, uh, I'd like your help with something. I'm making a commitment to X, Y, and Z. It would, it would mean a lot to me if, you know, when we speak in a month, if you just said, you don't even have to remember it. Uh, oh, how are you doing with that commitment you made? Because the desire to not disappoint you and the desire to honor our relationship is so strong It'll push me. Uh, it'll push me to do it, and I can tell from the body language in this room, people saying, "Whoa, I don't know if I would do that because I don't know if I could keep that kind of thing." But that's that's well, that could really help. And it even takes courage to to ask that. People are so afraid to ask for help. They they um, feel their I'll call it power down role. I mean, if I try to talk to my kids, I have kids 21, 24, and if I try to talk to them about speaking up in a way like that to their mentors, they go, oh, I can't ask them that. I don't think that it's my place to ask them that. And they really don't even realize that they, they could have the freedom to do that. So you can't, you can't get out of an interview with me without my giving you unsolicited advice. Are you ready for it as no. a parent? I will take <laughs> any parenting advice ever. Although yeah, but I will you follow it? You might have to call a mentor just so you can follow the <laughs> thing you're committing to here. Can I call you and ask you to hold me accountable, please? Well, let's just, I'll just give you medication. What can I tell you? No. But, nah. um, what I'd like you to do with uh, your kids is say, I'd like your help with something 
but it can't be sort of whining. I like your help with something right. because that feels manipulative. You could say, I'd like your help with something. And they're going to go, what? Going forward, I want to be a better mom. And to me, a better mom means that I interact with you in a way that actually helps you be the best you can be, the most confident you can be, the most optimistic you can be. Uh, what is one thing that I could consistently do that's observable so, and that I could practice doing it so I make it a habit that would help that happen? And what is one negative thing that I should stop completely that would help with it also? And can I check in with you to make sure that I'm good to my word? And what will actually help you bond with them more is when they bring up what the positive thing is, and especially the negative thing, ask them to tell you more. Why'd you pick that? Yes. And, and what'll happen is you're, you, you'll enable them to get things off their chest, especially if you say, what's the negative thing you want me to stop completely? And then when they say that, you can't get defensive. Of course not. But, uh, but that's your homework assignment. Okay, I'll report back. Yeah. All right, uh, do you wanna share your wake up call? Yeah, my wake-up call I think was interesting uh, in the sense uh, when I give when I give talks on dealing with difficult people, I say, uh, "Do you know where you were on September seventh, nineteen ninety-five?" And everybody says, "What the heck are you talking about?" And I said, "Well, let me try and uh, open your memory. Uh, on September seventh, nineteen ninety-five, there was a trial going on called the O.J. Simpson trial. Maybe maybe you remember that." Oh, yeah. And I say, do you remember a character named Detective Mark Furman? And people who are around will remember him uh, as the rogue cop that F. Lee Bailey was going to break and, and who may have kiboshed the whole trial. So on, on September 7, 1995, he, was, uh, he, w he took the Fifth Amendment down in the courtroom rather than incriminate himself. But I didn't hear the Fifth Amendment like the rest of the world because I was sequestered in the top floor of the criminal courts building. And you were sequestered there? And I was sequestered because I was an advisor to the prosecution and uh, F. Lee Bailey had accused me earlier in the trial of brainwashing, drugging, or coaching Detective Furman with his testimony during the cross-examination in which he came off like super cop. So what destroyed him were the, these tapes that came out at the end of the trial. Destroyed uh, Furman. Mark, Mark Furman because he had said he had never said the N-word, you know, one of the worst words, especially in these times. Yes. Uh, and so uh, they brought that up uh, on September 7th, uh, and he took the Fifth Amendment rather than incriminate himself. But I'm upstairs not knowing this because they were thinking that had he not said that, uh, they were going to find out, had I medicated him, had I coached him, had I done anything. And because I have a tasteless sense of humor when I'm talking about this, I say, in truth, I never laid a bloody glove on the guy. You know? <laughs> and, and everybody chuckles just <laughs> like you that did. That was tasteless. And, and everyone says that was tasteless. But so a little I, bit funny. But a little bit funny, thank you. And it wasn't even that funny. I better drop it. But a little bit funny. But it was funny. Okay, thank you. Now, now, now let's, we're going to get backlash from all the women in the world, so we're both in this together, Sarah. Okay. There you go. But uh, 
So what happens is I'm there and I'm just waiting and I don't know what's happening. And I get a little paranoid because I'm in a room where there is a refrigerator and DAs keep coming in and they smile. How are you doing, Mark? And I'm thinking, oh, they're setting me up. I'm going to be the fall guy. I mean, because I don't know what's going on, you know. Uh, and so around 7.30 that night, uh, in walks F. Lee Bailey and Carl Douglas. Carl Douglas was an associate to Johnny Cochran. And these were all the, the lawyers the, for the for, defense? Uh, all lawyers for, for O.J. O.J. And let me yeah. just confirm, did you know that uh, Mark Furman was going to take the fifth? No. Okay, you had no idea what was going to happen. I had no go idea. On. Okay. And so I'm there with Bill Hodgman. Bill Hodgman was the original co-prosecutor with Marsha Clark, and he was replaced when he got ill. And I was there that day when he got ill, and he did get ill, and they replaced him with Christopher Darden. And so something about me, which I've I've never fixed, is that uh, I always put myself in difficult situations because it wakes me up, and just when I'm about to panic, I get smart. But before I panic. I am anxious. I'm wanting to throw up and I'm up there in that room. <clears throat> and what I figured out though, and why this is a wake up call, is when I went from near panic to enlightenment, I figured out everything I know about difficult people and how they get the better of us. Or maybe 80% of what I know. What all difficult people do is they Sometimes they'll charm you, otherwise you're an idiot if they're in your life, but sometimes they'll charm you, and then they'll push you into your frustration, then they will push you into your rage. And if you're someone who's uncomfortable with rage, you'll spend your time trying to keep a lid on wanting to eviscerate them, and when you're off balance, they go for the jugular. So can you see that in your mind's eye with the the bullies, the whiners, the complainers? And, and that's why, you know, when someone's pushing you into your rage, rather than raging at them, if you're uncomfortable with it, you could say, whatever, we'll, we'll talk about it next week. So why did you connect the difficult people at this moment in time while you were sequestered? Was it the difficult people of F. Lee Bailey? Was it the difficult people involved in this trial? Like where, where did those connect? Like it's an aha moment. Well, the aha, well, well it's that I... Uh, because what I knew F. Lee Bailey would do, because you know, as a therapist, a suicide specialist, uh, I knew something about difficult people, but it hadn't crystallized their MO, that what they do to get the better of us. And they get the better of us by triggering rage, which we're uncomfortable with. So what I knew would happen is that he would come in, he would say something charming, then he would say something to frustrate me, then he would say something to anger me, and then he would say something to enrage me. And so, in my mind, I had him hardwired. So, F. Lee Bailey comes in, and he sits across the table from me, and Carl Douglas is to his left. And he starts out very charming. He says, Dr. Goulston, we don't really know who you are or what you do. We know you've been at the trial here for some time. We just came here. We wanted to ask you some questions uh, to, with regard to Detective Mark Furman. Uh, and then what, what's interesting is... Uh, I had him so figured out what he was going to do that when he came in, I feigned being uncomfortable. I, I was wearing, you know, from central casting, shrink, corduroy jacket, plaid tie, a little bit of a stain on the tie, penny loafers, you know the outfit. 
You saved the stained tie just for those purposes? I, I never washed it since then. <laughs> uh, but I think it was drool because, you know, I was near panic, you know. But, uh, uh, and so I'm fumbling with papers because I want them to be lulled into a false sense of, uh, you know, so, you know, who's the shrink? And then uh, he's addressing me and I'm not looking at him and Bill Hodgman says, Mark, uh, you know, Mr. Bailey's speaking to you. And what I developed by that time in my life, because I was a suicide specialist, is I have a way of looking into people's eyes and I can hold on to their eyes so that they can't move. And it's not intimidating. I, I would use that with suicidal patients and it would come from a good place because when I'd hold on to suicidal patients' eyes, I would say, you're going to walk through this even if you don't believe it. So I lifted up and I looked into F. Lee Bailey's eyes and I held on to them. And we can all do that. I mean, if, if you can let go of your agenda and you're really trying to look into what's going on with someone with no other agenda than trying to you know, see what hurts, figure them out. So I did that with F. Lee Bailey. And he, and he says, you know, we, under, we don't know your exact role. And here's another thing that I figured out. Every time he didn't ask questions, he used innuendo. So every time he said, uh, uh, we know you've been here through much of the trial, uh, instead of going, uh-huh, I blinked. Because what I realize is when people use innuendo and you go, uh-huh, you're leaning towards them so they can put a hook in your neck and reel you in. That's what, how innuendo works. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, they say something, you go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So instead of saying, uh-huh, I just blinked at him. And this went on for about three or four minutes. And he's just doing this. And this was my Rocky Balboa getting up off the mat moment. So Bill Hodgman says to me, Mark, you haven't said anything because I didn't say uh-huh. Right. And I looked at Bill and I said, he hasn't asked me a question. And then I looked back at F. Lee Bailey and he kind of flinched like there may be something more to this guy. And then he started to zoom in and my look into his eyes was, my look was, uh, uh, I'm not perfect uh, but uh, whoever has more to hide has more to fear. I think you're hiding a killer. And that, that's, <coughs> that's... That was all I, in your eyes. That's what I was saying right. in my head. Right. You know, whoever has more to f- uh, hide has more to fear. And so he escalates. Remember I told you they escalate. Right. And so it escalates to a point similar to what he did to Furman. He said, uh, so you're here to tell us that you never medicated, you never coached, you never influenced Detective Mark Furman in any of his testimony. And so um, everybody was looking at me, not unlike the studio. And so I said, and I'm looking in his eyes the whole time, the entire time. And it's going so well, he asked me that question, uh, and I count to seven. And then after seven, I go, <clears throat> and everybody in the room leans in. Oh, oh he's going to talk. It's like the E.F. Hutton commercial. And I think to myself, this is going really good. So I count to seven again. <clears throat> so there, everybody's on their seat. And I haven't taken my eyes off F. Lee Bailey. And I said to him, Mr. Bailey, my mind wandered the last five minutes. Can you repeat everything ah, you said? That's great. <laughs> and he said, what? 
yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I, uh, uh, I hate to tell you, but it's 7.30 and they locked the parking lot. So I don't know how I'm going to get my car out. He said, what? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it's, it seemed important what you were saying, so could you please repeat everything? And he looked at Carl Douglas <clears throat> and he said, what did I say? Oh, really? Well, because a lot really? of people who provoke, right. they're just, they're so used to provoking people uh, so that people get uncomfortable. Yes. And then he finished saying whatever he was going to say. And this is, oh, this is my, uh, uh, this is my, uh, there was, there was a, uh, uh, book I was going to write, which would be a bestseller, but it's too negative for me, uh, and it was going to be called "Get Even Plus Ten Percent." <laughs> so someone else can write the book if right. you're listening, because it'll be a bestseller, but it's too negative for me. And so I can't let well enough alone. So I said, "Mr. Bailey, uh, this has been a long day, and and I have a feeling that I'm not telling you what you want me to tell you." If you can tell me exactly what you want me to say, and it's close to the truth, I have no problem saying it. But if it's not close to the truth, I don't think I can say it. And he looks at me like dumbfounded. And he looks at Carl Douglas like, what? Uh, and the point is it was a moot point because uh, uh, Detective Furman had taken the fifth. I don't even know why they did this. But, I, but I'm David, I just slew Goliath. So he says to Bill Hodgman, I don't think we have to talk to uh, Dr. Goldston anymore. We don't have to put him on the stand. And so, so I can't leave well enough alone. So he's getting up and I said, Mr. Bailey, I have a question for you. And he looks at me like, what? And I said, do you remember earlier in the trial they said you can't unring a bell? You know, once the N word comes out, that's what people focus on. And he said, "Yeah, so what?" And I said, "Well, yesterday in front of the world, you associated me with the most despised racist cop in America, and you slurred me. Do you have any way how we can unslur a slur?" And he looks over at Bill Hodgman with a look uh, uh, like the Al Pacino movie, uh, Scarface. He looks over at, I'll never forget, he looks over at Bill Hodgman with a look that says, who's your little friend? <laughs> and then, uh, and Bill says to me, Mark, you know, let's just get out of Dodge. It's the end of the trial. And so I'm taking my papers and then Bill, uh, then F. Lee Bailey leaves the room and he comes back in and he looks at me and he says, I'll trade you a retraction in the newspaper tomorrow if you tell me what you figured out about me. Wow. So I just let it go. So, so, but it taught me a lot about how difficult people saunter into our lives. Um, and so here are some of the comebacks because I know Bottom Line likes to give tips. Right. First of all, if you're dealing with difficult people, and these are the bullies, but these are also the whiners and complainers, Never expect them not to be that way. So when they're not getting their way or they want you to do something, always expect them to do that. Hold a little bit of yourself back and let them do that. And so instead of you're being 
uh, sort of pumped up or charged up and then having to hold back, let them finish it <coughs> because you were expecting it. And then say to them, <coughs> and then say to them, could you repeat that again? My mind wandered. Or you could say to them, um, do you really believe what you just said? Or you can say to them, could you repeat that back to me in a normal voice? And all of this requires you staying very composed oh, yeah, and yeah. not letting them yeah, totally. hook you. And, and what's happening is, and people say, well, you can do that. Well, you're a psychiatrist. And you, no, no, all of you can do it. Just know the person ahead of time and, and always expect them to do that when they're not getting their way. And at that point, you don't want to smile glibly like the cat who swallowed the canary, but you let them finish. But uh, they're expecting you to be provoked into being illogical, but you just say that, not in a passive-aggressive way, but, you know, could, could you repeat that back to me in a normal voice? Or the simplest thing is you tilt your head slightly and you go, huh? <laughs> and the power of a pause. The power of a pause, yeah. Um, difficult people, though, come in all shapes and sizes, right? I mean, I think that's important to also understand that F. Lee Bailey was a hugely difficult person, but it can be as simple as your judging sibling-in-law or your, you know, is it, def define a difficult person and it, you know, to, for people. So a difficult person is someone who is, um, trying to get their way at all costs. They're a person who needs to be right. They're people who uh, need to make you wrong in order to be right. Uh, they're people, oh, I make a distinction also because we, there's a lot of talk about people on the spectrum. So there's a difference between people who are, who are insensitive and people who are just not sensitive. So an insensitive person, there's some malice there. They're taking some delight in being insensitive. But for a lot of people who sometimes, you know, will say comments that are off the wall, they're just not sensitive. They're not doing it to offend you. It's just that they're not sensitive. And I think you need to treat them differently. Right. You can't expect somebody who just isn't wired that way right. to be aware. Right. 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 And, 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 and a good way to manage your own self is... Am I taking something personally that's not meant personally? In other words, if this person is this way to everyone, then uh, that's different than if they mean something personally. And if you say to yourself, no, they don't do it to other people, uh, it seems personally directed at me, you can slow things down by actually going through the process in your head because by slowing it down, you're showing them that they're not controlling you. And so when they do something, you could actually say something like, you know, it's really interesting. When you just said what you did, I, I, I asked myself, am I too thin-skinned? Am I taking this personally? Uh, because this is just the way you are. Uh, or uh, are you aiming it at me? And I realize, that, uh, I realize that you don't do this with other people, so I guess I am taking it personally. So... Uh, so what's behind it? They go, huh? Because they hope to provoke you. No, no, what's behind it? Because, you know, I mean, um, I, I've said this to people. I guess I'll, I'll have to 
yeah, we'll have to make it. I, I've said, <laughs> I remember I said to someone, uh, this is part of my get even plus 10%. I said, do you know the difference between uh, a know-it-all who knows what he's talking about versus a know-it-all who doesn't know what he's talking about? Because often these difficult people aren't like know-it-alls. Okay. I remember saying to someone, I said, a know-it-all who doesn't know what he's talking about is a jerk. Whereas a know-it-all who knows what he's talking about is just an a-hole. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out which category you're in. <laughs> How to win friends and influence people. I'm sure that improves the relationship. Well, it's actually kind of, it's sort of interesting because sometimes, um, I mean, as a guy who was afraid of bullies growing up, I mean, I've kind of created this Frankenstein. And, um, and I've walked away from money, but not self-respect. Because some, uh, I remember one incident uh, where I was at the Beverly Hills Hotel with someone who was powerful, and they were so awful and dismissive towards the waitress. Uh, and, and she looked at me like, you know, who's your a-hole friend? And so she left, and I looked at him, and I said, uh, you know what I'm really happy about right now? And he said, what? Uh, I'm really happy because I don't work for you, nor would I ever work for you, regardless of how much you would pay me. And he said, what? I said, uh, if I worked for you in your company, the first thing I would do is teach everyone to stand up to an a-hole like you because you, you have more than you deserve in life. And I would not do one single thing to get you anything more. Wow. What was interesting mm -hmm. is he looked at me and he leaned forward like he was listening. He said, uh, can it be fixed? And I said, it's an addiction. I said, the best you can be is an a-hole in recovery. But you're going to have you're going to slip back. Then he said, would you work with me? I said, you're on probation. So I'll work with you for 30 days. But the first sign that you take the light in hurting other people, especially someone in a lower position, I'm done. So, so sometimes it's what you need is to stand up to people and speak truth to power. Now, most of yes. them would say, you know, you know, they'll pick that, you know, I can buy and sell you you know, a million times. So. Yeah, but secretly they know. Secretly deep inside, I believe that most people know, and then they medicate themselves to stuff that, that fear away. Um, one question, when, the, when someone's dealing with a difficult person, and they know someone's difficult, how much do they need to, uh, you know, it, part of it is what you take in, right? So as you said, I know you're difficult. So it's kind of like sticks and stones will break my bones. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna throw your junk at me. You're gonna try and, um, throw your digs on me, you're going to make comments, whatever you're going to do in that interaction, I don't have to take it. I can sit there in my head and go, la, 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 la. Tr you know, I trust that you're going to be a jerk. Mm -hmm. So that I think, I think some of it, some people, we let those jerks and difficult people into our lives and give them so much power 
versus from the get-go in the relationship standing up and going, oh, this isn't about me. This is about them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's important for people to keep in mind. Like, it's, it's your strategies for how to respond, and I love the pause. I think that, you know, filling voids of silence, I do that regularly in conversations and negotiations because people feel the need to fill voids. Um, but the, I think even going into it and knowing that you're not, that, that's them. That's about their junk. And it's not, it can't touch me. Mm-hmm. Well, I've developed a philosophy now. I think you got to be a little bit older like I am to develop this philosophy, but it's really freed me. Uh, I spoke in Russia last, uh, last year to 400 members of the Russian Federation. It's the best presentation, best received presentation I've ever made. And they didn't hear me in English. It was spontaneously translated in Russian. And if you look up Mark Goulston Moscow YouTube, you'll see a three-minute highlight reel because they couldn't believe how engaging I was. Here's my philosophy in life, and I encourage everybody to adopt it. I assume innocence and goodwill of everyone until I can't. Yes. So, because I refuse to be paranoid. Now, that doesn't mean be a Pollyanna, but be sensitive when, when you pick up a lack of goodwill or animosity. And what I do is, since I'm assuming goodwill uh, and innocence, as soon as I pick up something other than that, I don't get angry. Again, I let them sort of take a few shots. And then I have that response that I said earlier, or I, I, I get confused. I see, and, and what that enables you to do is to say to them, what was that about? Yeah, and push it back on them. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, not in a defiant thing, but it's kind of like the Columbo maneuver. If you remember the detective, I look confused. I said, what was that about? And what's interesting is when they know that you're on to them, you can then just watch them get very nervous. Mm-hmm. Well, they're yeah. not. You bullies aren't used to having people That's stand right. up to them. All right, Mark. We could talk for hours, but we're going to stop here. We're going to congratulate you with your new wake up call podcast, and we're going to do some more conversations another day. I look so, forward to that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm talking to Dr. Mark Goulston, known as the People Hacker for his ability to understand the minds of all sorts of difficult or even dangerous people. Success in life depends on having good relationships, and Dr. Goulston has provided his expert advice to bottom line readers on creating good relationships with even the most difficult people in their lives. He's just one of the thousands of experts featured in our newsletter, Bottom Line Personal, who provide their expert advice to guide readers into action in their own lives. In addition to Mark's wisdom regarding often challenging human behavior, Bottom Line Personal is filled with actionable advice on all aspects of your life, including living a healthy life, traveling safer and cheaper, finding the best insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and even travel to little known destinations. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP 
That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP.